Revelation chapter 6. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 6. I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 17. And then we're going to begin our study here of the opening of the seals. John says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the, sound, the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the, the full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us! And hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? <clears throat> Let's see how far we get tonight. Like I said, my plan is to hopefully get as far as the fourth seal, because I want to try to keep us equal with where we ended up last night in our study over at First Baptist in the Atlantic. And we see here that as Jesus begins to open these seals on the scroll, that the four living creatures each take turns calling out to these horsemen. And many of us have heard of these horsemen. We probably have heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And I'm excited tonight to show you that this isn't the first time we see these horses. Because actually, as we do a study tonight, you're going to see that three of these horses, we've seen these colored horses before. And when we see where they come from in the Old Testament, it'll help us understand a little bit more of what's going on here. So let's start taking a look at what's going to be happening. Jesus begins to open the seals. We see one of the four living creatures tell John to come. And then John sees a rider on a white horse come forth with a bow and a crown for the purpose of conquest. Now, real quickly, some people have tried to say that this rider on the white horse is Jesus. Because in Revelation chapter 19, when Jesus himself does come back to the earth, when he comes at the end of the tribulation period to set up his kingdom, he comes riding on a white horse and he's wearing a crown. But there's a difference between this rider on the white horse who's wearing a crown and Jesus. And I'll show you three basic reasons why this is not Jesus. The first one is this. The crown he's wearing in the Greek, is the, the word they use is Stephanos. Now, in the Greek, a Stephanos is a crown you get because of victory or conquest. The winner, if you will. At the same time, when Jesus comes in, Re in Revelation chapter 19, the crown that he's wearing in the Greek is a diadema. That's a royal crown. He's, it's a kingly crown. And so the type of crown that Jesus is wearing is different from the type of crown that this writer is wearing. 
On top of that, um, this rider has a bow, but you don't see any weapons, do you? He's got a bow, but he's got no arrows, no quiver. He's just got a bow, and that, that's important, and we're going to see that in just a little bit, that this one's conquest does not come through warfare or through victory militarily. This one's conquest comes through guile, flattery, persuasive speech, trickery, if you will, and we'll, we'll get into more of that in just a little bit. But there's also, when we see Jesus come in Revelation chapter 19, he's got a sword coming out of his mouth, and he defeats his enemies because he has a weapon for victory militarily and otherwise. But there's a third reason here, which is even making it more clear. Who's opening the seals? Which is who? Which is Jesus. Jesus is opening the seals, and then this individual comes forth. It's not Jesus. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He doesn't say, hey, okay, hang on for a second. We'll take a curtain break because I've got to change roles here. No, he's the one opening the seals while this is all going on. The rider that comes out is not Jesus. But the reason why there's some confusion is because this individual is the Antichrist. And I'll, actually, the scripture has been telling us all along that this guy was going to show up. Go with me to Daniel chapter 9. Go to Daniel chapter 9. We're going to look at just verses 26 and 27. We'll come back to this prophecy in Daniel uh, later on in our study because it's one of the most crucial hinge pins for Christians to really understand what's to come and the fact that there is a seven-year period left for the nation of Israel. And we'll do that study later on. But in Daniel chapter 9, look at verses 26 and 27. This is after Daniel's been told that 77s are decreed for the nation of Israel. And it says, after the 62 weeks... An anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. By the way, some of your translations don't say anointed one. What do they say? Messiah. By the way, if they say Messiah, I love it. Because that's actually what the word means. The word Messiah and the word Christ are the same thing. And so actually some New Testaments now are actually saying Messiah instead of Christ. That's okay. It's the same word. Messiah in the Hebrew and Christ in the Greek are the same, same thing. It's referring to this one who has promised to come. And I love it. The prophets actually in Daniel told him exactly when Messiah was going to come. And he talks about it. And again, we won't get into that study now. But from the issue to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, there's going to be 49 years. And then from there, there's going to be another 434 years. And at the end of that period, that 62 weeks there, the Messiah will be what? What does it say? Cut off. And actually, when we do that study, you're going to find that when you do the math from the day that Nehemiah was told to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem until the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey was the exact number of days that had been prophesied until the Messiah would be cut off and have nothing. Oh, if you do the math, you'll find out that when that happened, there's still a seven year period left in the 77s decreed for the nation of Israel and city of Jerusalem. And that's not happened yet. But then the prophecy here says, after the Messiah is going to be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. And to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he, this is the prince who is to come. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. That's the seven year period. And for half of the week... He'll put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So here we see that this individual, this prince who is to come, is going to make a covenant with the many for one seven-year period. But at the middle of that week, or that seven-year period, what's he going to do? 
according to the prophecy. He's going to break the covenant. And here we see that he's going to step into the temple and declare himself to be God. You say, wait a minute, Jim, how do you know that? Well, go with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. <clears throat> Paul says, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction." who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it, or restrains lawlessness, will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness." So here Paul says, hey, the, the, the day of the Lord, the, the return of Christ is not going to happen until the man of lawlessness is revealed. And oh, by the way, he's going to step into the wing of the temple and declare himself to be God. We see from the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 that this individual, this prince who is to come, is going to do that at the midpoint of that seven-year period, at three and a half years. And at the beginning, he's going to come onto the scene, as we see here at the beginning of Revelation, or sorry, in Revelation chapter 6, in the beginning of the opening of the seals. We see that he's going to come onto the scene, but he's not going to come on with conquest in the sense of military power. He's got no weapons. His, his bow is empty. But he's going to come, and he's going to get conquer and, and have conquest. He's going to get victory. He's going to get authority. He's going to come onto the scene and become a real important and powerful world leader. But we won't know who he is until... He steps into the wing of the temple, and then we find out this is the one. Now, let me also say to you, Christians have wasted too much time over the years trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. What does the Bible say? He won't be revealed until when? After he who restrains is taken out of the way. Well, he's who, who's he who restrains? Well, we've got to be real careful. It's not just the Holy Spirit. Because people have said for years that the Holy Spirit will be removed from the earth. Well, if that's the case, no one can be saved. The Bible is really clear that it's the Spirit of God who draws people. It's the Spirit of God who opens eyes. It's the Spirit of God who does the work of salvation. If the Holy Spirit's removed from the earth, will anybody be saved? No, but if you remember last time we were together, we saw that the 144,000 are going to be sealed by God. The Holy Spirit's going to be on them and in them. And they're going to go out as witnesses. And people from all over the globe are going to come to faith during that time period because of the witness of the 144,000 Jews who were sent out. So the Holy Spirit can't be totally removed from the earth. So what is this he who restrains? It's the Holy Spirit's action through the church. The Bible actually says that we are the salt of the earth. Salt does not stop the decay. It slows it. It's a preservative. They used to pack meat and salt to make it last longer. 
When the church is removed, lawlessness, which is already out there, is going to pick up. And we're going to see that in just a little bit when we see the second seal open. And so I'll save that discussion for later on. But look at, let me uh, show you one more passage. Go to 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, we're just going to look at verse 18. <clears throat> Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. Now, a couple of things I want to pull out from here to make sure that you guys are sticking with me here, because I'm giving you a lot of stuff over these weeks of this study. But the first thing is this. He says, we know that the Bible's really clear, and God has already said that Antichrist himself, the individual, is going to come. Many Antichrists, little ones, if you will, have come. And this is how we know it's the last hour. Why does Paul, sorry, not Paul, why does John say this is the last hour? I mean, because he wrote this almost 2,000 years ago. Why does John say this is the last hour? Any idea? By the way, all of you that are listening right now online, they've got puzzled looks on their faces. Anybody want to throw out a guess? Remember? <laughs> well, an hour seems like a day to God, but that, yeah, but that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is this. You remember when I laid out for you that there were basic time periods that God worked in different ways, and he's laid it all out through the scriptures? In the, in the garden, he worked in a certain way, but then from the time of Adam and Eve in the garden until the time of Moses, there was another way that he worked. And then we have the time of Moses and the law, and he worked in that way. And then in this time period, now in the church age, he's working another way. It's always been salvation by grace through faith in what God has said. But he's worked in different ways. Hebrews chapter 1 says, in the past, God spoke through his prophets. But now he's speaking through his son. God works at different ways and in different time periods. But what he's saying to them is this. This church age that we're in, which is about to draw to a close, is the last time period before the day of the Lord begins. Now, the day of the Lord incorporates the seven-year tribulation period, the millennial kingdom, and all this kind of stuff. But the day of the Lord is what's next. So when John says this is the last hour, he understood that we're in the last time period before any of this stuff's going to happen. And that's why he's saying many antichrists have come. But what does he say? That's how we know it's the last hour. There's many antichrists have come. But we know that antichrist, the one, is still coming. And so, folks, what I want you to understand is at the beginning of the tribulation period now, as Jesus begins to open the seals, and remember, he's getting the earth back. He's redeeming the earth during this process. As he opens the first seal, the first living creature says, come, and out comes this guy on a white horse pretending to be Jesus. And he's been given ability and the authority to have victory and to conquer. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to know him a little bit more later on. But let me just read to you one more thing about him. Go to Daniel chapter 7. We'll be introduced to this Antichrist in more detail later in our study. Not tonight, but I wanted to show you. Go with me to Daniel chapter 7. Let me just give you a little glimpse of how much the Bible has already given us a heads up for about this individual. In Daniel chapter 7, I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to jump to verse 15. Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a, vi a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and he told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven, there we see it again, were stirring up the great sea. And the four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. 
The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And then I looked at and its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and was made to stand on two feet like a man and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear, it was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth and it was told, arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back and the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Jump down to verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, that horn had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom shall ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones. He shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for how long? For a time, times, and half a time. There's that three and a half years that we already saw prophesied. The midpoint of the tribulation. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. So folks, we see clearly that, and this is just some of the places that the Bible's been telling us all along that there's going to be this one at the end of time who's going to come on the scene and he's going to pretend to be the Messiah. He's going to pretend to be the, the savior of the world and he's going to come into power and he's going to be given authority. He's going to be a part of this last kingdom that's going to be one world power at the very end. And you know the world's setting itself up for that, aren't they? Isn't the whole globe right now looking for a one big universal government that's going to kind of take care of all things? And the sad thing is many of our leadership and our country or ain't been helping being a part of all this kind of stuff that's going on behind the scenes. The Bible says it's going to happen, folks. It's going to happen. And so there's going to be an individual who's going to come on the scene. He's going to be coming up in leadership in this one world government, and he's going to come into power. And at a certain point, we know now it's halfway point of this seven-year tribulation period, he's going to step into the wing of a temple, which is going to be rebuilt sometime between now and then. 
and he's going to declare himself to be God. And that is the one that Daniel prophesied that is the prince who is to come. Now, again, we won't be here when this man is revealed. So don't waste your time trying to figure out who he is. And the Bible even says he won't be revealed until that midpoint. Even during the beginning of the tribulation period, you could be guessing as to who he is. It won't be revealed till the midpoint. So don't waste your time trying to figure out, is so-and-so the Antichrist? Too many people waste too much time with that. All right? Well, let's go to the second horse. When the second seal wrecked, Revelation chapter 6, when the second seal is opened, John sees a red horse. And this rider was given permission to take peace from the earth. Now, I want this truth to sink in for a minute. The Bible says, well, let me read it to you here. When he opened, verse 3, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. Now, this is talking about warfare that's going to break out across the globe, but it's more than that. Because the scripture doesn't just talk about warfare. It's also talking about the fact that individuals are going to start slaying each other during this time. I need to take a second to kind of help you understand something that most people don't fully grasp. If Satan had his way, we would all be dead right now. Okay? Let me just, if you don't believe me, go read the book of Job. When God has this conversation with Job and, and God points out Job, Satan says, well, the only reason he worships you is because you won't let me touch him. You let me do something to him. And God says, I'll tell you what, I'll remove my protection to the point that you cannot touch him. What does Satan do to everything he has? All his children, everything. Kills them all. The Bible actually says that it's God who is protecting us from the evil one. There's a famous sermon by a preacher named Jonathan Edwards called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And in that sermon, all he did was take them to the Old Testament and show them that it's God who keeps our feet from slipping and keeping us from falling into hell. It's when God chooses to remove his protection, when he chooses to remove his grace and his provision, you're done. That's why we need to be in Christ. Because once you're in Christ, you're signed, sealed, and delivered, and it's a wonderful thing. And we've already seen that lawlessness is already at work. You want proof? Watch what happens when riots just break out in a city. What happens? People start looting and, and people just think they can do whatever they want. And they don't care about anybody else. That's only a glimpse of what's to come. And the Bible says that before the tribulation period begins, God's going to remove the church. You know what's kind of silly to me? Let's be honest, folks. Doesn't the world wish that we Christians were gone? I mean, we're wishing we were gone. They're wishing we were gone. We're kind of a pain in their rear end, especially in the, in the, in the time of voting, correct? I mean, let's be honest. The world thinks, man, this place will be so awesome if all those Christians would just disappear. They have no idea. Because when he who restrains lawlessness, the salt of the church is removed from this earth, lawlessness is going to pick up even more. Oh, and at this point of the tribulation, there's a rider coming out on a red horse. And I'm going to show you red represents judgment. And I'm going to show you that in scripture in a second. And he's allowed to remove peace from the earth even more. To the point that not only will there be wars going on, neighbors are going to kill each other. 
everybody's just going to be slaying one another. It's going to be a horrific time. As bad as it is now, as much as people are getting gun permits now, and people are, every, most churches I preach in now, people are packing. I'm just going to keep preaching the truth anyway, because, you know, if they send me to heaven before the rapture, I'm okay with that too. But the Bible says at this point, even though lawlessness has already been evident, even though the rapture has occurred and lawlessness will be even increased more because the church will be gone, at this point, this man is allowed, this angel is allowed to remove peace from the earth. There will be no peace on the earth. That won't be a fun time to live. <clears throat> Let's take a look at the fact that these different colored horses actually shouldn't be a mystery to people who read their Old Testament because actually they've been here before, at least three of them. Go with me to Zechariah chapter 1. I'm going to show you that the scripture shows us that God has been sending riders, and I believe these riders are angels, except for the Antichrist, has been sending his riders out on these horses throughout history. And God uses these riders to go out amongst the people of the earth and assess the earth and sometimes to bring judgment or peace. Look at Zechariah chapter 1, look at verses 7 through 17. Zechariah says, On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Bechariah, son of Iddo, saying, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a what? On a red horse. And he was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red sorrel and white horses. And then I said, What are these, my Lord? The angel who talked with me, who talked to me, said to me, I'll show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. By the way, you're going to think that's good. Keep reading. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these 70 years? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said to me, cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I'm exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I'm exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, my city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. So here we see that these horses are servants of the Lord. These riders are servants of the Lord, and they've gone out into the earth, and they're assessing what's going on. And they come back and report to God what's happening. Go to Zechariah chapter 6. In Zechariah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, Again I lifted my eyes and I saw, and behold, four chariots came out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black horses, the third white horses, and the fourth chariot dappled horses, all of them strong. Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, These are going out to the four winds of heaven. Do we, have we heard that before? To the four winds of heaven, after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. The chariot with the black horses goes toward the north country. The white ones go after them, and the dappled ones to the south country. And when the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, Go, patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth, and then he cried to me, Behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest, 
in the north country. So now again, we see the colored horses and they're going out into the earth and they're going out to assess. They're going out to accomplish God's purposes. They patrol. They come back and report to God what's going on. And as you're about to see, after these years and years of assessing and patrolling and reporting to God, he now is going to send them out to accomplish his purposes. The Antichrist is allowed by God to come into power for God's purposes. Again, some may say, wait a minute, Jim, as we're about to read, as the black horse comes and as the pale horse comes, the devastation and the death and the, all the stuff that's going to be happening on the earth, why is Jesus involved with this? Well, because Jesus is God, and he's not only loving, he's also righteous, and he's a judge. And the only way that we can reconcile the fact that he's a God of holiness and a God of love is through the cross. You see, because if he leaned on the love side and ignored his righteousness, he wouldn't be wholly righteous, would he? If he kind of turned a blind eye to sin, he wouldn't be 100% righteous. If he leaned on the side of judgment and his holiness, yet didn't demonstrate love in the process, he wouldn't be love, which the Bible says God is love. So how do you reconcile his holiness and his judgment and his righteous wrath and his love. There's only one way you can reconcile it, and that's at the cross where God judged sin in his righteousness, and he judged it all at that moment through Jesus. And at the same time, not only was he judging sin, he was also pouring out his love to the world. Because if we will receive what he's done by faith, our sins are totally taken care of. And we need not fear punishment anymore, do we? Because we now can experience his love. But if you reject the only way that you can receive God's forgiveness, guess who's going to experience his wrath? But where's his love? It's at the cross, folks. Where's God's love in all this judgment? It's at the cross, folks. That's where he paid for your sin. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. He gave us the opportunity to be spared all that. God doesn't send people to hell. He does everything in his power to keep you from it. If you choose to reject his only offer, the only way you can reconcile his holiness and his love, if you choose to reject what Jesus did on the cross, folks, you're headed for this side, if you will, that I've been pointing to over here. And you're going to have to deal with his holiness and his righteousness. So that red horse goes out, and he's allowed to bring peace from the earth. He's allowed to bring peace, take peace from the earth. And we're about to see it's about to get real bad. Let's go to the black horse. Go back to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. Look at the next verse, verse uh, 5. <clears throat> when he, Jesus, opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. Now, for those that don't understand what the wages were back then, let me help you out. A denarius was a day's pay. And a quart of wheat is what it took to make a loaf of bread. Or if you didn't have the money for wheat, three quarts of barley would give you the same kind of a deal. It was a lesser type of bread, if you will. In other words, at this 
point, while all this stuff begins to happen on the earth, the Antichrist has come out and he's beginning to get into authority and power. The red horse is sent out and God's allowed this angel to remove peace from the earth and men are going to start killing each other and there's going to be wars breaking out even more than there are today. And in the midst of this, because of all this, famine is now going to break out. See, because when people are out there killing each other, no one's working the plow. Nobody's out there producing food. And there's going to be a famine across the globe, the Bible says. It's going to be a famine that the Red Cross can't keep up with. And the Bible says that at that time, everybody's going to be doing their best just to find enough food. for A day's wage will get you food. By the way, it will get you bread. By the way, if all your day's pay goes to just getting a meal, who's paying the car payment or the light bill or the, you know what I'm saying? Everything that we think is important, all is going to go by the wayside. By the way, by the way, why is God doing this? Why do you think God's doing this? I'm sorry? Yeah, he's trying to get their attention. He's trying to get the world's attention. Folks, let's be honest. As we go through this, you're going to be amazed over and over and over in the midst of all this judgment. God's mercy is still being offered. Salvation is still available right to the very end. At the very end of the tribulation period, right before Jesus comes back, the Bible says there's going to be an angel hovering in midair and he's going to preach the eternal gospel to the whole world all at one time. That's just an amazing thing. God, all the way through, as he's bringing his judgment, is still offering grace if you'll just receive it. You'll respond to him in faith. And so even though this is horrible, and you're about to see this is nothing compared to what's to come, God's still using it, hopefully, to get people's attention. Now, I need to stop for a second and deal with something. Revelation was written to who? The churches. The whole book was written to the churches, right? But as you've been hearing me say... From chapter 4 through chapter 19, we're not mentioned. We've already been raptured. Chapter 4 is what happens after this. Now we get to come back with him in chapter 19 as we come and he sets up his kingdom on the earth. And of course, we'll be a part of the millennial kingdom and we'll be a part of the new heaven and the new earth for eternity. But if most of this book doesn't apply to us in the church, why has this book been given to the church? Anybody know? So that we can bring it to the world. Listen closely. The Bible says in the book of Peter that those prophets in the Old Testament searched intently, trying to find out through the Spirit what times the prophecies they were writing about were going to take place. When they wrote about the coming of the Messiah and the things that were to come, and they were told it's not going to happen in your lifetime, it's for later. You, You know what I'm talking about, right? Aren't you glad, even though the prophecies of Isaiah weren't fulfilled until hundreds of years after Isaiah. Aren't you glad Isaiah was faithful to write them down? Aren't you glad Jeremiah wrote his down? Aren't you glad that these people were faithful to pass on what they knew wasn't going to happen in their lifetime? Most of what Daniel sees is about what's to come after our time. And Daniel was asking, when's this going to be? He says, you're going to go sleep with your fathers, but you're going to rise at the right time. Daniel, this ain't going to happen in your lifetime. But aren't we glad Daniel wrote it down? And so, folks, even though most of what we're dealing with here is not for us, we're to know it and we're to pass it on. We're to be preaching it and sharing it. Oh, they're going to think you're crazy. Oh, they're going to think you're nuts because you believe the Bible's literal and that revelation's really going to happen. But you know what? We're just to be faithful to share it. 
Isaiah preached it and they didn't listen to him. Jeremiah preached it and they didn't listen to him. But thank God they were faithful and we need to be doing the same thing. Know what is coming and be telling people. We actually have in our house a rapture packet. Now, if you're not sure what this is, let me just tell you. We really believe that the Bible's teaching that we're going to be taken out before the end. And so what we have put in our bedroom, in our master bedroom at our house, is a big packet and it's hanging on the wall of our bedroom. On the outside of this packet is a picture of me and Becky and our three kids. By the way, we've had to keep changing the picture over the years because the family keeps going and Jesus hadn't come and got us yet. But on the outside of the packet, it says, are you looking for us? You see, we've been witnessing for years to our neighbors on our street. And we know that when Jesus takes us, there's going to come a point where they're probably going to go, hey, we haven't seen the Johnsons in a while. And they might go looking in our house. And they're going to go room to room and they're going to end up in our bedroom and they're going to see this big packet right there by the door hanging with our picture. And it says, are you looking for us? We have not been taken against our will. This is something we have been looking forward to. And Jesus has come and taken us to be with him. But what's about to happen next, you need to know what's going to happen next. And so please open this packet. Inside, it will tell you what's coming next. And my wife has done an incredible job where she sat down and she's put together the scriptures and she's written it in a real loving way to show there's going to be this individual. Don't take the mark. All these different things. And she's laid it all out because we know that our responsibility, even though we're not going to be here for that time, is to pass it on to tell people what's coming. By the way, if you're curious and want one, send us an email and tell us where we can email it to you. My wife would be glad to just pass it on to you. You're going to get your own picture, get your own big envelope, <laughs> but we can give you what's on the inside. We'd be glad to share it with you. It's already been put together. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. Send, send us an email and we'll send you what's on the inside of that packet so you can put one up in your house. So don't get sucked into, well, Jim, if this is written to the church and we're not going to be here, why are we even worried about this? Because we're to know it and pass it on just like the prophets of old did. All right. So we see now that during the beginning of the tribulation period, as the first seal is open, the Antichrist comes out and he begins to come into power. He doesn't become, we don't know who he is fully yet, but this one who pretends to be Jesus comes into power. The red horse of judgment comes and peace is removed from the earth and things are going to get real bad. By the way, I'm going to repeat this to you over and over for a reason. As we close tonight, I'm going to show you that when Jesus is asked about the signs of his coming in the end of the age, Jesus actually quotes Revelation chapter 6. In Matthew 24, you're going to see, watch out, there are those who claim to be the Christ. There's going to be wars. There's going to be famines. Did, did you catch it? Has anybody caught it yet? When Jesus talks about the signs of his coming, he's talking about the tribulation period. For years, we've tried to read the church into Matthew 24. No, no, no. I'll show you later on. We're not there. He talks about what's going to happen during that seven-year period as the warning is right before his return. So let's go on, though, to uh, the fourth seal, because there are a couple more things I want to do before we run out of time tonight. Now, people have asked, by the way, what about the don't hurt the oil and the wine? To be honest with you. Bible scholars aren't really sure, and I'm not really sure myself, and like I told you, I don't mind telling you I don't know, because I want you to believe me when I say I believe I know. But the answer to don't hurt the oil and wine, there's a couple speculations. One could be that, um, that actually that even though there'll be famine, the rich won't be affected by it, possibility. Or it could just be that those are very prized and precious things, and prized and precious things are going to be very, very valuable at that time. I don't know. We'll just leave that at the Lord. Um, but let's go to the next seal. 
Verse 7, when he, Jesus, opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Look closely. I want you to be able to catch on because I'm going to take you somewhere and you need to know what's going on here. This rider comes out on this pale horse. And this rider is death. He's been allowed to kill a quarter of the earth's population at this time. Did anybody read Tony's book that we had told you to get if you could and where Tony does the math? Has anybody read this chapter where Tony did the math for you? Does anybody know roughly how many people that's going to be at that time? It's one and a half billion. When you remove the church, rough number of there's seven billion people on the earth, seven billion on the earth right now. Once you remove the church, rough number of what we think the church may be. And when you do the math, a quarter of what we left will be one and a half billion people will be killed during this time period. Folks, we can't even fathom what that's going to be like. A quarter of the earth's population will all be killed. But how are they going to be killed? Sword, famine, pestilence was like Ebola, you know what I'm saying? It's disease. And what? Wild beast. Let me say that to you again, because this is important. Because again, if you knew your Old Testament, you would hear this and go, oh, I've seen this before. Sword, famine, pestilence, wild beast. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel chapter 14, starting in verse 12. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, when a land sins against me by acting faithlessly, and I stretch out my hand against it to break its supply of bread and send famine upon it, and cut off from it man and beast, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness, declares the Lord God. Now before I go any further, don't miss what he just said. God says, if I determine that I'm going to bring famine on a land to remove from this land man and beast because of their wickedness and their faithlessness, it doesn't matter if Noah, Job, and Daniel are in that land. The judgment's coming. Oh, those three will be taken care of because of their righteousness, but the judgment's still going to come. Don't miss what I'm saying here. Folks, I, I wish I could tell you different. But I do not find the United States of America in the end times. And all the prophecies of the end, it doesn't look good for us. And not only that, the scripture, I believe, shows us that it's going to be bad for us for this reason. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that God gives over people and nations to their shameful lusts. And what does the Bible say the evidence of them giving, being given over is? Homosexuality. Men with men, women with women. The Bible says, you go look at it, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following. The wrath of God is being revealed against wickedness of all mankind because what would be known about God is clearly made known to him because his divine nature, his eternal quality has been clearly seen through what has been made. And as you keep reading, even though they knew God, they didn't worship him and they worshiped man and animals and all these things instead of the creator. And then he gives them over. Folks, as this United States, state by state by state, Start saying that homosexual marriage is okay, and now our Supreme Court has said it's okay 
it is evidence that God has given us over. That doesn't mean we don't still pray. That doesn't mean we still don't beg God. But I've been to too many national days of prayer where all the people do is get together and say, it says in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and I'll heal their land. Well, what happened to turn from their wicked ways? See, we love to quote, we'll call out to God and he'll heal our land. If there's not a turning from the wicked ways, it's not happening. And God says here, and you're going to see it again and again and again. If I decide that I'm going to bring judgment, it doesn't matter if Job and Noah and Daniel are in there. It's coming. Look at verse 16. If I choose wild beasts to pass through the land and they ravage it and to be made desolate so that no one may pass through because of the beasts. Even if these three men were in it, as I live, declares the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters. They alone would be delivered, but the land would be desolate. Or if I bring a sword upon that land and say, let a sword pass through the land, and I cut off from it man and beast, though these three men were in it, as I live, declares the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they alone would be delivered. Or if I send pestilence into that land and pour out my wrath upon it with blood to cut it off from man and beast, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, declares the Lord God, they would deliver neither son nor daughter. They would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness. For thus says the Lord God, how much more when I send upon Jerusalem my four disastrous acts of judgment, sword, famine, wild beast, and pestilence, to cut off from it man and beast. But behold, some survivors will be left in it, sons and daughters who will be brought out. Behold, when they come out to you and you see their ways and their deeds, you will be consoled for the disaster that I have brought upon Jerusalem. For all that I have brought upon it, they will console you when you see their ways and their deeds. And you shall know that I have not done without cause all that I have done in it, declares the Lord. Do you see it? He says, I'm going to bring judgment on nations throughout history because of their faithlessness. Whenever I bring judgment on a nation, if I've decided it's time, it's time. Yet at the same time, there comes a point where I'm going to bring upon Jerusalem sword, famine, pestilence, wild beasts. Anybody know when this is going to happen? During the fourth seal. See, again, if we knew the Old Testament and we read the book of Revelation, we'd go, this isn't news. Ezekiel 14 told us this was coming. Oh, but after he brings devastation during this time, guess what? There are still going to be some Jews who are left. And when he brings them out, you'll know that what I did was not without cause, but you're going to worship me. And that's what the Bible says. You're going to see it if, we, if Jesus tarries and we get to the end of this study. You're going to see by the end of the tribulation, even though two-thirds of the nation of Israel are going to be killed during this time, at the end, those who are spared by God are going to come and he's going to put them back in Jerusalem and set up his kingdom forever and ever and ever. And all the nations are going to come and to worship God there. And they're going to say, God is God and the Jews are his people. Right now, though, we're in the days that are leading up to what's going to come. And I want to do two things in the time that we have left here. One, I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you? 
Do not truly, I say to you, that there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. Did you catch it? Many antichrists already are coming, but there is still one to come. And they'll lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. By the way, that's the red horse. And there will be famines, black horse, and earthquakes in various places. We'll get to that seal coming up next time we study. All these are but the beginning of of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. By the way, who's the you that he's talking about here? Very good. The Jews. You're going to see very clearly he's talking to the Jews. He's not talking to the church. Then they will deliver you Jews up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise. False prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased. There's that red horse again. The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. By the way, are we saved by enduring to the end? Well, then how are the, oh, the Jews are saved by enduring to the end. The ones who make it to the end of the tribulation, the ones who turn to God and look to him. If God bring judgment on a land, Noah, Daniel, and Job will be preserved because of their righteousness, but the land will still have the judgment. There's going to be Jews who during this time don't follow with the Antichrist, don't betray one another, who turn to God, and he's going to spare them. And you're going to see he protects them in the area of Basra, the Bible says. But we'll get to that in a later study. Keep reading, though, with me. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Did anybody catch that? That's not as soon as we get the gospel to the whole globe. The Bible says that in Romans chapter 10, that his word has already made it to the ends of the earth. Colossians chapter 1 verse 23, Paul says, this gospel which has been proclaimed in all the earth. The the gospels made it to the whole globe. That doesn't mean we aren't to still send missionaries and to still go out. Because even though the gospel's been preached in Palm Bay, are there not new generations that need to hear it? Are there not people that come into this area that need to hear it? But don't think for a second that as soon as we get the gospel to the whole globe, then the end will come. Read your Bibles. This is the end of the tribulation period when that angel hovers in midair. You double check me later on. Go look at Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. You'll see it. There's going to be an angel hovering in midair and he preaches the gospel to the whole globe and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, did you catch that? That's what we read earlier at the beginning in seal number one, Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who was on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. Let the one who was in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in the winter. By the way, if he was writing to the church, it's going to be winter somewhere. Right? He's talking to the Jews. Or on a Sabbath. Colossians 2.16 says, Don't let anybody judge you, and whether not you keep a new moon festival or a Sabbath day. The Sabbath's not for the church. He's writing to the Jews. 
For then will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. We've only begun to see what's going to happen on the globe. A quarter of the earth, 1.5 billion people are going to be killed. By the way, do you, when Jesus talked about how bad these days are going to be, did he know that there was going to be the Holocaust and 6 million Jews killed? But he says what's going to come at the days to come is going to be worse than that. That's just hard to fathom, folks. If you love your family and your friends, even though they may not hear it now, tell them the truth. Don't try to convince them. It's not your job to convince them. Just tell them the truth. You never know who's listening. You never know if it's going to sink in. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the becoming of the Son of Man be. And wherever the corpse is, there the vultures gather. So when Jesus was asked, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Do you know what he starts telling them? Seal number one, the Antichrist. Seal number two, famine. I'm sorry, not famine. Seal number two, which is the, the, the wars and lawlessness increasing. Seal number three, famine. We're going to get to the earthquake coming up. Seal number four, there's going to be the death. Folks, he's describing the tribulation period. This is what's going to be happening right before his return. So don't let people say, well, the earthquakes are increasing. I used to think this way, too, until I started to really look at the scriptures. Are earthquakes increasing? But does that mean that his return is close? No. No. We try to read the church into Matthew 24. We're not there. He's talking to the Jews. But I want to show you one other thing along this same line that will get us ready for next week. Go with me to Revelation chapter 3 and look at verse 10. This is the end of our study and a commercial for next week. In Revelation chapter 3, look at verse 10. By the way, even though this was written to the church in Philadelphia, who was it also written to? All the churches. Remember, in each one, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, look at what he says. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Let me say it to you again. Jesus said to the church, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Now people say, Jim, that doesn't mean that he's going to rapture us beforehand. That just means he's going to protect us during the tribulation. Well, if that's the case, go with me real quick to where we're going next week and look at verse 7. Oh, sorry, verse uh, 9. When he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be what? Killed as they themselves had been. So are they being spared? No, the believers during the tribulation period are not going to be spared in that way. They're going to be put to death. The Bible says just about every single one of them 
They're not going to take the mark of the beast. They're not going to be able to buy and sell. They're going to be killed. So when he says, I'm going to spare you the hour of trial, he wasn't saying, I'm going to have you go through it, but you'll be protected. He was talking to the church and says, I'm going to take you out before then. So thank God that is the truth for us. I'll show you next week when we come together from this passage, from these verses I just read to you, further scriptural evidence that this is not the church. But we'll save that for next week. But for tonight, thank him for the fact that you are a part of this time period, this last hour, right before this stuff's about to happen. Be watching and ready, and at the same time, be willing to tell people what's to come. Oh, they may not believe you. They may not accept it. But be faithful like Isaiah and Jeremiah and other prophets, because even though it's not going to happen to us, the world needs to know. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.